Greetings, boils and ghouls! You're listening to Crypt Keepers, the podcast where we resurrect the greatest horror anthology of our generation, Tales from the Crypt! I'm Mary Johnston, just one of the bats in this belfry, and with me is my brother, Thomas Johnston. Ho, ho, ho. I'm so glad to be here for a special holiday-themed episode. The, the fire is stoked high. I'm well-plied with eggnog and hot toddies. I'm wearing a festive sweater, and I'm ready to dig into this. <laughs> Nutmeg and liquor? Liquor and eggnog. <laughs> <laughs> liquor and eggnog. Separate? You were like, I would Miss- like one I would like one eggnog liquor on the side. I want it, but you know, I'm gonna just I wanna just dip my tongue in it after I have Look, 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 just bring me some mistletoe. I wanna just just dunk it. <laughs> I wanna eat poison. Dunkton Dunkton Brandy. When you I'm make- actually I'm actually dressed in my Pat Bateman bladeback suit. And I'm wearing some festive antlers, and I'm just avoiding a mistletoe alert. Oh, I see. I get it. I like it. I like it. Um, do you remember when we were never a uh, eggnog family? Agree or disagree? Definitely, definitely. I think one year, remember, mom bought some boiled custard. That's what I was going to bring up. Was, I think it was funny because it was Kentucky, and she was like, boiled custard, boiled custard. <laughs> boiled custard, which as far as I can tell is like melted custard. Which Yeah, so- no, yeah it's melted ice cream for those of you who, you know. Don't live in Wisconsin or the South. Yeah. Melted fatty McFat fat ice cream. The other funny thing I can remember about uh, growing up a Johnston at Christmas time is that while we have a podcast about watching television. And and both both watch a prodigious amount of television ourselves. Right, right. We were not a TV watching family. We didn't have must-see TV. But at the holidays, there was a lot of... uh, uh, not really TV watching, I guess, more like VHS watching. There were a lot of movies that we would watch. Um, you know, Muppet Christmas Carol was watched every year. Um, we watched Magoo's Christmas Carol every year. We watched some grody old black and white Christmas Carol <laughs> every year. <laughs> Which probably has only Shakespearean trained actors in it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Lawrence Peter Olivier Lawton. Peter Lawton is, is yeah. Scrooge. <laughs> yeah. We watched Child's Christmas in Wales. There was probably, like, when you broke it down charitably 30 hours of must see johnston christmas viewing and we carry that tradition forward um and it keeps uh growing and growing like a snowball in yes you guessed it the grinch who stole christmas which is also must see johnston yes, christmas time but viewing. only but only if you see the consecrated vhs version which you will know because it's still in its rainbow vhs box with a cryptic number four sticker on it no other labeling and you have to watch it because it has all of the uh the santa seven up and uh california raisin commercials recorded from network television and so had great 80s commercials um arthur christmas i think is the latest addition to the johnston family uh christmas canon uh is it Yes, it is. That's what I would say. And then my addition to it, although I do not know if any of you picked it up because y'all are a bunch of weenies, is Rare Exports, which is a great movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. I don't really know that it's baited in. It might not be exactly mom and dad's speed, but uh, but yeah. What are you that, talking about? One. Despite the fact that our mother is a classy woman, she loves a gore fest. Maybe. A bunch of, I believe, is it Finnish people? A bunch of Finnish reindeer hunters? Fighting yeah, I think so. Feral Santa Claus? And, and really, this this uh, we may be maybe getting this too early, but there is something about Christmas time and horror that 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 we in America maybe or as human beings really just love this like all this forced cheerfulness. There's nothing better than mixing a little bit of red with that red and green. Um, people love that. 
I agree. I think it, I don't think it's just strictly American, although, I mean, we came from the Brits, but they definitely have it. Like, if you read, I mean, Cr- Christmas Carol itself, although it ends on a very hopeful note, is bleak. All of the Sherlock Holmes stories about the holidays are bleak. The best one, the best one ever is about, uh, the, the nicest one is about a goose that gets choked with a, with a jewel and the, um, the meanest one, and, and basically Sherlock agrees to let the guy not go to prison as a Christmas miracle. And the saddest one features a woman finding out that, uh, her lover has killed her very own sister by sending her an ear. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think that maybe also, though, American Christ, uh, Christmas as we celebrate it globally now is an American institution, all of the commercialism and the songs and, and, and whatnot. I think that, you know, in the past, maybe in uh, in uh, Dickensian London, um, you know, life was just a series of uh, ups and downs, uh, in, but mostly it was misery and gin drinking, uh, largely, while trying to fend orphans off who were trying to steal your shoes. Yeah. Um, so what you might imagine from all of our Christmas chat at the top of the show, um, this was a Christmas episode of Tales from the Crypt that, um, I mean, this, these came out in June, so I don't really know why they did this one second, but they did. So here goes. Bum, 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 Cut two. On Christmas Eve, a wife kills her husband for his life insurance. She's almost caught by her daughter, but manages to shoo her off to bed, promising that Santa's on his way. The wife sets to work disposing of the body outside when she is attacked by an escaped mental patient dressed as Santa Claus. She manages to fight him off and get back inside, but she's in for one oh-holy fright. The the killer Santa now has an axe and is determined to make this a this a grisly Christmas gory. <laughs> right off the top, um, so this this episode was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who uh, is we're rarefied air legendary, a legend in his own time. Romancing the Stone, Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and of course Forrest Gump. The, uh, the, the this one is also kind of a one man show. It's a little bit like the Man Who Was Death, in that there really is only one character. It's and a bit character... like Forrest Gump. It's a, one <laughs> it's a little like Forrest Gump. It's really just a one man. No, the uh, the, <laughs> the bonus the... content for this episode should definitely be you and I just ripping Forrest Gump a new asshole. That'd be great. Yeah, right in his buttocks where he got just, shot. Just 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 wait for the Patreon, you guys. We'll Put it ripping ripping a third hole in Forrest Gump's ass. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> He got shot in the buttocks. So, so Mary Ellen Trainer, um, who was uh, Robert Zemeckis' wife at the time, uh, is the wife in uh, the the felonious cra- spouse in this. Those crazy uh, kids didn't work it out. I don't. I don't believe so. Ugh. This is this is when you watch when you, when I watch it, she does have a little bit of that 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 funny eighties Willie Scott from uh, uh, Temple of Doom energy, and I think and I think we know why now. But, she actually but, reminds me of um, Kathleen Turner's character in Romancing the Stone, hardcore, mm-hmm. except if the woman was really, really strung out on drugs. 
But actually, she's um, so jumpy the, and twitchy as hell. Yeah. Um, uh, the Killer Santa is played by Larry Drake, who apparently is kind of kind of low key legendary at being uh, kind of scary, um, uh, be- being monsters. Um, my favorite <laughs> of his credits is-, is he was in Doctor Giggles, which is a movie I haven't seen, but did have an excellent VHS box that I would always look at at the movie store. Mm, the, we'll like, we'll post that on our social. What? Yeah. So, do you think Larry Drake has terrible self-esteem because he's only cast to play like very scary, ugly people? I see. I seem to recall from his IMDb with my deep, deep internet research, he says something about basically being like, "Well, it's a living." <laughs> so I'm looking up. I'm looking up a picture of uh, of Larry Drake uh, out of costume. Um, which I've never mm-hmm. actually done. And it seems a little bit unfortunate to me that he has to be an axe wielder while uh, Leo McKern gets to like fanny around um, in the prisoner wearing a long scarf and being charming. They're not, mm-hmm. they're like similar looking people. Leo McKern, know. another Johnston family uh, favorite actor. Favorite. It's true. Although I will say, so I do wonder though about people who are more like conventionally attractive who play villains and i don't mean like you know like beautiful people who play villains like michelle pfeiffer who like has kind of like you know power and sin- can can like dig up mm-hmm. sinister energy i'm talking about and almost exclusively about bill skarsgård <laughs> that has to affect his self-esteem where people are like yeah your dad's kind of like a portly dude but he's gonna be in the new mama mia like being charming meanwhile you sir have to be a killer clown and always someone who's scary. You have to be a leering, menacing pervert at every turn. That has you to are affect. literally internet meme fodder. <laughs> That's true. You have to do all of that. You're because because you're monster and frightening looking, despite the fact that you're kind of handsome. Like, that's got to affect his self-esteem. And if it wasn't before, now that I've broken it down, because, you know, Bill Skarsgård, friend of the pod, I'm <laughs> sure he's I'm sure he's listening and a single tear is rolling down his monstrously sharp cheek. <laughs> he's just salivating at the thought that there are frightened children somewhere in the house. He's like, can't wait to eat them. Um, he probably likes very plain things. Like, I bet Bill Skarsgård goes home, makes himself a very, like, straight-up grilled cheese sandwich, and sits down, flips on some Netflix, and is like, ha-ha, oh, Ross, just watching some <laughs> friends. He's like, I gotta take the edge off somehow. <laughs> just, likes bland, like, only hotel TV for uh, for Bill Skarsgård. So, Mary, uh, not, not to spill all the beans right away, but what'd you think of the episode? Not not to drag us back onto track immediately. Um, well, I liked it. I liked it. So this is a this is that we have two kind of options for this particular story. Of course, we're focusing on um, the one from Tales from the Crypt, 1989. Mm-hmm. But there's another one which I think we should mention at the top of the show. Um, there was a 1972 movie, British movie, called Tales from the Crypt, directed by uh, Freddie Francis, who I know what you're thinking. He's not in pornography. Instead, he's the celebrated cinematographer who did Sons and Lovers and uh, The Elephant Man. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so this was like when he did to pay some bills. He had a boat. I don't know. He kind of. So, he owed no, a bookie no, some money. No, no. You missed, you missed the important thing in there because I buried it in some, uh, some like terribly droll innuendo. He directed this. He's a celebrated cinematographer. Oh, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, um, but I, I actually, so you found this. I had seen this kicking around. It's on, you can stream it now on Amazon Prime. And I think that we should eventually cover this because it, it's, it, I liked at least the little piece we watched. Um, but I've seen it kicking around. I didn't really know what it was. I thought it was more, a more recent thing than this, but it predates this series. So it was sort of the first like dig into um this canon although i guess they didn't have all the rights to it well we'll get into that when we yeah yeah the they, they th- this is the only um uh, it's five stories three of the five stories eventually kind of wound up being adapted in various ways this is the most uh straight up adaptation that 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 sees uh, play in both um the uh, tv series and the movie um i think that the the tv the movie version has that sort of weird hammer horror, I think, kind of energy where it feels like there's a lot of people kind of not talking a whole lot, <laughs> uh, moving stiffly with the fakest blood you've ever seen in kind of empty but lush environments. Yeah, well, um, but you're except you're wrong because one of those stiff people is Joan Collins, who put the right. who put the main the, stiff person is Joan Collins, <laughs> who put the nasty in Dynasty. Yeah. I mean. She's great. <laughs> She's great. Um, so I kind of actually preferred the movie version to the one mm. we saw, but I think that they both have their own strong merits, just kind of standing on their own. I agree. I agree. I, I think I prefer the TV series, which is you know handy for the podcast. Uh, so I think the main difference is that in the movie version, you have sort of this staid, cold-blooded killer of a wife who's portrayed by Joan Collins. Whereas Mm -hmm. in this, in the TV version um, that we're focusing on today, you have more of a, certainly an archetypal kind of woman. uh, And she's like a gold digger and she's, and she's greedy, but she's very unhinged as opposed to, as opposed to this person um, portrayed by Joan Collins, who sort of like moves through the frame and like things that you would expect her to, to upset her don't seem to, to me, she seems like a person who's like, has like this down, like she's like, first I'm going to do this. Then I do this. Like she's got like made a list in her head that she's like, check that box, check that box. I know this is going to work because I tested it. We don't really have that with this wife. Um, and I think that's important to the story because I kind of feel like all of everything we know, she tells us in the story and the way that her she is characterized is how we understand everybody else in the story. So in the in the the more modern version and the, you know, the TV version, she is basically the whole character. She's the whole story in, yeah. in character form. So in bo- I think in both she, in both the she, the 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 wife is the the only real character and and is and, you know there are other people who are sort of incidental even even the psychotic killer maybe I don't know I feel like in the movie version you know things about her kid you know things about the husband you know less about the killer mm-hmm. um but I think in this in the TV version you know almost nothing about the other characters except what you extrapolate from the person she is. So this woman, um, so uh, Mary Ellen Trainer's uh, all through the night uh, gold digger, right? Who 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 I'm not sure has a name. 
She doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't. So she's kind of this black widow. You can tell that she's in this unhappy marriage. They have the only interaction you or interaction while her husband is still alive, who does have a name. His name is Joseph. Yeah. Um, is he's kind of like he's he's kind of like bossing her around and like he's kind of being a jerk. And if I may, if I may, something needs to be done about that fire. You got the poker. Well, let me have it. At which and she point says, the... "What did you say?" And then she does let him have it by by uh, inserting the poker into his skull. Um. Yeah, so I mean, we kind of get this idea that she's in an unhappy marriage, and it's sort of, and you you know that she's like part of that unhappiness. Um, she kills her husband very gleefully. Her daughter comes downstairs and like doesn't realize that uh, the father is dead. We're prote- our delicate sensibilities of uh, a girl potentially like witnessing her father get murdered well, are protected yeah. because she's because uh, Joseph is her stepfather. They stepfather. make it clear. Well, but, yeah. but, but but that but that in and of itself is some characterization, I think, too. Yeah, right? you know, totally, there. totally, and it's all told to us by the wife, right? Yeah, the, the the dialogue of this is kind of great in a sort of schlocky, uh, <laughs> not not half baked, but she she yells a lot of exposition. Um, she's a total exposition, Sally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's it's all over the place, but uh, you know, I mean, but like it'll be like the little girl comes down, and she's like, "Is he all right?" And she's like, "Yes, he's all right." <laughs> you know, yes, he's all right. Go back to bed. Your stepfather is just tired. Your stepfather is just tired, and it's Christmas Eve, and Santa will be coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, that, that, that's it's less jerky. far it's worse less... than the di- but but yeah, I uh, yeah, I think that I think something else that's worth pointing out maybe at this point is that this um this series is uh the series is an adaptation of comic books from the fifties, um and so. This story in particular seems feels kind of kind of retro, um, and these and and not just because this was made in 1989. So I think this kind of works on two different retro levels. It's it's a retro story because it, this this episode involves a radio broadcast in which the police say something along the lines of you know attention citizens of Pleasantville, there is an axe wielding lunatic on the loose. He has escaped from the mental asylum. Bar attention, your doors. Yeah. yeah, you know. And um, everyone uh, get into your root cellar. Our killer's on right, the loose. Right, right, right. And, and you know, you can imagine in those stories um, uh, and, and this this comes back a lot in Tales from the Crypt. I feel like about a third of the a third of the women in Tales from the Crypt are gold diggers, uh, you know, fr- from I, I guess if you consider that this was the pet project, at least initially of a bunch of big shot Hollywood producers, <laughs> maybe that is one of the most evil things they can imagine. Um but 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 you know gold gold diggers loom large in the tales from the crypt universe, um, as do axe wielding lunatics, um, and that these aren't. It, it's interesting to think about the difference here. Um, this this is not a uh, axe wielding lunatics were sort of a dime a dozen. I feel in in in, in um, kind of earlier horror, as opposed to now where being a serial killer or being being a deranged killer is sort of a superpower. This isn't uh, this guy isn't Hannibal Lecter. We're not given flashbacks to his traumatic childhood or uh, he doesn't spend time explaining to us why cutting up cutting up women is is really art or anything like that. He's also not smart. Like that's clear. Yeah. Yeah. These these guys are brutes. They're cannon fodder. Sorry, Larry Drake. (laughs) He doesn't look smart. Um, 
Uh, so, right. I mean, I think that these characters and definitely this woman represents in the uh, Tales from the Crypt universe sort of these like pampered creatures that themselves are the epitome of like greed and comfort, you know? So like mm -hmm. they're in a situation that, you know, th they want for almost nothing or what they have, but yet what they have is still not enough. And they just have like intense avarice they just want more and more and more and more and it's their undoing so this woman i think it's safe to assume that she married joseph her second husband for his money and when that wasn't enough she started calculating in her head how how she could how she could use his life insurance to set her up so she could really start to like live the life she wants right yeah, and, it, and and right she she kills him then I believe we we get some scenes of the. It's just just how how sort of heavy handed this episode is, and in, in a way that's kind of enjoyable and schlocky. I think we see her like looking over the will, last will and testament and smiling, and then she calls her boyfriend. She looks at his insurance policy. Oh, <laughs> like... it's, I thought there was yeah, and she calls her uh, and she calls her 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 lover on the phone and gets his answering machine, which is something like. I can't remember. It's something along the lines of like, hey, it's me. Leave a message and your measurements. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I've done it, darling. It's all ours. The money. I don't know why she has a British accent. She doesn't. Um, uh, You know, it's all ours. We're finally free. Free to be happy. <laughs> yeah. Free to be happy. Right. Now I've, now I've killed somebody. So now we can truly be happy. But I also, do... you know, isn't this great? Isn't this great for Christmas time? All about material comforts and uh, aspirational yeah. getting and wanting. Uh, at, at one point, the daughter says something about like what Santa bring you for Christmas, and she says something like, "I've already gotten my Christmas present, honey." He's already given it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I also think it's kind of crazy. So I didn't really think about this till rewatch, but I think it's funny that she's sort of dressed as like a real housewife Santa herself, which mm -hmm. is part of like the trappings of it. But I think it it is also sort of a I think I think it is more symbolic than that. So she's wearing this red satin like negligee. And little stubby Ugg boots. So she has these little boots that she stomps around in. And this big coat with a fur hood. She's kind of like, she's also sort of dressed like Santa herself. Which I think yeah. come, gives you some interesting parallels when um, the Santa wearing the, uh, the insane asylum Santa suit that he stole. Here's a tip. If you're going to run a, a insane asylum, don't have like a bunch of costumage around. Well, it's but, just but, but... inviting trouble. To be fair, in this episode, they, they, it does a funny. This does a funny thing where there's a lot of exposition, but also a lot of explanations of things. Where um, they oh, mention right. that, like, that, that, that the Santa suit was stolen from one of his victims' houses, and that he specifically is targeting women. Yeah, um, no, they they may, they leave absolutely nothing to right, chance. right. So you're not like, hey, I wonder where. Um, yeah, I think I think with you're talking about the the way people the way people look in this um, the the husband who kind of looks like 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 a little bit puffier version of Republican Bradley Whitford um, <laughs> is is spot on too and just the way this episode looks and sounds is great it's full of real schmaltzy uh, Christmas Christmas music um, the whole thing clearly was shot on a soundstage it looks it doesn't. The outdoor shots look fake. There's gallons and gallons of fake snow. It's 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 beautiful in a, in in a way that you can tell is very artificial. The yeah. house itself, the house itself, looks like a house. It looks like wh where they live in Father of the Bride. You know, it doesn't look like these these venal rich '80s people do not really live in this house. This looks like a 
rental cabin. There's, you know, a rustic wishing well out back. There's a tire swing. There's an axe with chopped wood. You think Bradley Whitford's chopping that wood? You think she's chopping? <laughs> Who's chopping the wood? I think but, the you know, guy... the axe is there so that the psychopath can have it. So you're not like, I wonder where I got the axe. Well, and actually, I kind of noticed this from the original or the the movie, like the mm-hmm. uh, seven, yeah, yeah. the movie yeah. from 72, where they do the dialogue in that movie is very minimal, which I also liked better. Mm-hmm. Um, but they show you everything. So everything that like happens they show you. So when like the Santa Claus comes in through the window, they show you like the crack that's left or like when she Mm -hmm. is about to, when she's about when, after she kills her husband, they show you the wall safe that she opens up and then that has the insurance policy in it. So I felt like they watched that and were like, that's really cool. We're going to do that too, except we're also going to have basically the main character be a narrator and telling you about everything. So I think, they kinda, I think they compressed it. It's a little bit like when you watch Dr. No and you spend an awful lot of time watching James Bond walk across rooms. Um, I, I, I think it might be a little bit different uh, sensibility of uh, filmmaking and also maybe what you expect in terms of uh, like film literacy on the part of the um viewing audience like in this I, th- I think that the exposition we get is not the same thing as explaining what's going on it just is like kind of funnily uh plugging what could be seen as plot holes um but but you know right we yeah we don't need to see the man we don't need to um they, they don't need to show show us every every motion she makes in the room cleaning up for after after her husband's murder we can right. we sort of under when we see her dragging out the door we're like yeah she's covering up the murder we got it we don't need she doesn't need to like open her christmas present she just have to walk to the wall safe and then close the wall safe and put the picture back and walk back across the room <laughs> we don't have to well, see literally thought, everything she does we're not you know i know but we also we also don't need a scene in this where the uh where the nine one one operator is like i is like Ma'am, until the authorities arrive, do you have a weapon in the house? And then the woman literally shouts at the top of her voice, <laughs> Joseph's gun! gun! She could have yeah. just gone to the closet and like rattled around on that shelf looking for the gun. We would have gotten it. We'd be like, oh yeah, it's a gun. But, but, um, but, 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 but nobody's pretending that this is like, you know, great filmmaking or Lawrence of Arabia or something, though. I mean, I think it, I think it kind of, I think it works. It works with her unhinged performance. And also them... the fact that she is having... She is having the worst Christmas Eve imaginable. She's, but like in a, in almost a like hectic, you know, like oh god, everything that could have gone wrong is going wrong. I agree with that. I also think that I, what you said about um, people like de- not depending on film literacy. I think that she is also sort of like kind of a mixed bag of horror movie stereotypes that can be oh, for sure most yeah. summed up. I think as a blonde, like mm-hmm. she's yeah. not, and, she's, and she is. And she is. So she's not like, like usually the blonde is like promiscuous and screamy and she definitely dies and she's kind of stupid. This woman mm-hmm. kind of, I think, pulls back on all of those things or like twists them slightly, but it still falls into all that those categories. She's hysterical, which takes the place of her screaming, right? Like every move is like frantic. Like she does lots of like running around and big gestures. She mm-hmm. is not necessarily promiscuous but she is like having sex for capital gain which should upset us as the audience right like that's a similar kind of thing um she's not stupid but she's not smart either like her plan is i'm i'm gonna smack joseph with this uh poker then i'm gonna wrap his head in a plastic bag with a red bow on it then i'm gonna throw him into a well 
That's her plan. Like, what does that story look like for the insurance company? Well, I guess, I get, golly gee, I guess he went out on Christmas Eve to to make a to make a solemn wish to the baby Jesus, and he just fell right in that well. <laughs> like, what is that story? It's crazy. She's so lucky. Like, I thought this multiple times. She is so lucky when that murderer shows up. Yeah, yeah, the, she... uh, yeah. The psychopath really gives her a much better alibi, and it takes her. I mean, not a long time, but it takes her embarrassingly long to realize that she should just be like, yeah, he killed my husband. Easy. Yeah, and she should have also bonked him on the head more than once. Mm-hmm. Like, like really well, make the, sure but, that... But that... then we wouldn't, we wouldn't get to see him come back to life and try to fight her off when he, she's going to throw him in the wishing well. That's true. Well, no, that's actually when she's like, when she's comedically trying to, uh, trying to you put mean... the axe in Joseph's head. The, 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 couple, the couple of times she makes jokes about like, she's hauling the body you hear her say something like you know i told you you should have gone to the gym joseph and then like later we see her still struggling with the body and she's like a couple of sit-ups wouldn't have killed you <laughs> we're like yeah we get it yeah okay yep yep so the the final girl is usually punished for her crimes of being stupid promiscuous cowardly cowardly whatever right um mm-hmm. and she's usually punished by the slasher killer um, the main, the main villain. And this one, this happens too. I do think it's interesting that, um, her death is framed. So at, you know, right at the end of it, um, her daughter, her little daughter lets Santa in through the front door, like the easiest way he could have gotten in the house, right? She unlocks it willingly and she lets him in and the, uh, the murderer, um, chokes up on his, on his ax and snarls at her naughty or nice. And then the last scene is just her like kind of collapsing then she just against the screams stairs. for like 90 seconds. <laughs> screams a little bit too long basically. Um right. we, we 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 I know how I would prefer for it to end. I would prefer to have her whip out Joseph's gun and coolly gun down the psychopath and then light up a cig and be like Merry Christmas, darling. You know. <laughs> right. And then it's a then it zooms in on the little girl and she's like, "I'm traumatized." <laughs> um <laughs> And that girl was Typhoid Mary. (laughs) (laughs) And that girl would go on to play the exorcist. Everything makes sense here. Um, So, but, so she has this moralistic ruling handed down for her, like explicitly in the story by a, by an equally deranged sinner. Some might even argue more so since he's killed multiple people. um, Cloaked in the garb of like, uh, patri- like paternal authority, right? Like you're like your Santa, like a Santa suit's not a cop costume, but it kind of is. Like you yeah. know, you have this, you have this all-knowing, all-seeing being who's like, I've decided that you deserve capital punishment. gain yeah. or punishment, and now he's going to like level that against her. I thought that that was like a, that was oddly rich for this, and that's completely missing from the movie. You like get none of that because yeah. the, the final line is not there. And uh, I do think that in this in that case, this is much better like th- that. Yeah. We do need that exposition, or at least I did as a viewer to connect those dots. Yeah, although I, I kind of think it, it to me, it's not fully satisfying, though, um, uh, just because uh, this, this seems really random. She's not really brought down by any. I mean, uh, 
she's not really brought down by her own by her own crime. Hoisted uh, on her own petard. I, I mean, may, maybe in that you know she's initially reluctant to call the police because you know will will the psycho you know will will, will because what do you she if they killed come to Joseph? Get the killer, yeah, right. Joseph is dead. That's her crime. Right, but 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 like it's not if Joseph was alive. The guy probably still would have come in the house and chopped her up with an axe. You think Joseph's going to protect her? I don't know. I I don't. I almost don't think that matters because it's a movie. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right. And 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 this thing, in a sense, is you know like a twenty-five minute uh, distillation of slasher movie plus some brilliant unhinged uh, lady screaming. Right. Right. Um, Right. And it's 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 pretty enjoyable. It's beautiful. It's lush. Um, they they do a great job with all the Christmas carols and everything. Um, they even um, and uh, you know kudos to Larry Drake. There is he doesn't he doesn't really get to do a whole lot. He's wearing a Santa suit. He has like this these weird creepy snaggly teeth and like scars on his face, but he does have kind of excellent body language. There's this great part where she's uh, standing in this hallway and there's a where there's a window at the end of it, and you see him kind of like run and peek in real fast and then run and then keep running and she doesn't see him. But just his, he has this kind of creepy, loping, quasimodo kind of kind of body language there. And it's, it's just a really neat, great little scene where you can tell he's, you know, scoping out the outside of the house. Um, this, this, this movie, this uh, episode actually also plays a lot with sort of choreography because you have Joseph laying on his back outside. You have, um, she initially... Uh, is 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 attacked by by the killer outside, and she brutally cuts his face with an icicle, and then uh, they run to the door, and she smacks him in the face with which the back is the of most the axe. which by the way is the most holiday centric yes, way to yes. hurt somebody. Uh, I don't know, mistletoe bomb uh, is that not was that not that wasn't uh, they they weren't thinking about that, but um, oh so, I so think an icicle is way more classic. Plus plus you yeah, can get something melts in away there. no murder weapon yeah we know melts yeah. away no murder weapon and also it's non denominational which is nice. So anyway, but anyway, but, but, you know, right. And so then you have him laying on his back in the snow outside. And so she's kind of running from window to window. She's securing the house. She's keeping track of like where people are and how, you know, how things move. And, um, uh, she, um, yeah, in the end the twist, the twist is she runs, she runs to the closet to get Joseph's gun. And uh, it's on a, it's on, it's on, it's kind of up in the shelf, and she can't reach it. And this closet, because it's a movie closet, has a little window um, <laughs> that that looks into the closet. And she sees the killer erect a ladder and start to climb up. And he kind of looks at it at her and grimaces. And there's this great little moment. And he keeps crawling. And she, he he's climbing, and she tries to work the doorknob. The doorknob does it. The doorknob like it somehow spontaneously breaks, and she's trapped in the closet. Ah! Screaming, screaming. As her daughter has opened her window and says, come on, Santa, I'll help you. Um, and you think that she's going to let the killer in upstairs. And so she busts out the the wife, the, the nameless woman, <laughs> busts out of the closet and then runs upstairs and her daughter's room is empty. And then she comes downstairs and her daughter is there, you know, mama, mama, you know, I let Santa in. And then you have the naughty or nice moment. And this is one of these impossible, choreo- like, how did that, how did that go down? Right. The way how did it's she impossible. miss, how did she miss her daughter coming down the stairs, coming down un- the steps, unlocking yeah. a door, like dragging a chair over to the, ch- to the door, unlocking the dead bolt. Yeah. No, I mean, it right, doesn't. Right, right, right. But, but, but I think this is keeping with the fine traditions of slasher movies too, where you're just kind of like, right. It's, it's basically magic. Right. Uh, <laughs> Well, it happens. It happens because it is the most horrifying thing. Although, so especially um, when you mentioned the um, the physical acting that is in this movie, 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think it's this, so this, filmic. We just keep calling it a movie. It's, it's cinematic. Yeah. Um, I in this episode, I feel like. Um, you know, Tales from the Crypt definitely plays with this a lot, this concept of like a horror comedy. And I mm-hmm. think that they, well, I don't think that the last episode, although it had funny moments, was a horror comedy at all. Like The Man Who Was no, Death no, not at all. Not is all. not a horror comedy. I would argue that this, maybe not, maybe not if you're like, maybe if you're not like a trash bag millennial and you're like on your phone the whole time. But like, if you really watch this, I think that this is a comedy as well. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, and, and, you know, this this is this movie is sort of part of a tri- movie. Ah, this episode is sort of part of a tradition of uh, of, of horror Christmas movies, right? There's that whole series of Santa Claus movies and um, with a spell with a W, yeah, yeah. And, and, so. and it, uh, is, it, is it Jack Frost? Which one's the one with the rapist snowman? Uh, I never remember which one's the like yeah, the, which right. one's the one about the dead dad and which one's the one about the rapist Santa uh, snow. Right, I, right. Don't right. I don't but, know, but I mean, but you snowman. know, those even even things like like rare exports mentioned up at the top. Um, you know, like I think I think that like Christmas is the happiest time of the year, but it's also weird and fake and kind of disturbing. And so what's better than make than taking like cartoonish um, bounty and goodwill and turning it into cartoonish? Once, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of at a loss to think of a Christmas horror movie that's real Christmassy, but also not a little bit a little bit goofy. There is one and it's Black Christmas and that's only because it's like the first slasher movie and it's really gory. But um uh, yeah, mm-hmm. but it's not really funny. I mean like there there are like Christmas themed killings which one could argue are always funny, but yeah. um as someone sure. who hangs lights on her house every year, there's that's no joking matter. You could die <laughs> at any moment. Um so no, I I would agree. I think that um I think that you kind of have and I think it's a comedy on multiple levels. So there's a lot of physical comedy where like literally so both uh <laughs> both joseph and uh santa fall and both times they have like they're very bouncy they have like a little bounce to them like when they fall they fall like a kid would where you fall and then your legs like bounce off the ground and then land again mm-hmm. like yeah, they no, kind of yeah for sure everyone falls making this sound whoomph like, and they all they, they also both are making that kind of like comedy nineties kids movie kicked in the balls face too that kind of, kind of face when yeah. they fall too. And that's they're not and I think that so so there's that. There's lots of physical comedy and even that scene where he's like dashing around and he like he like the way he does it is he like comes in a frame and then like his body he like kind of does like it's like a almost like a double take and then he's like and he flies away like it's like something that's out of a looney tunes cartoon like that's how they move around and the way she moves around like kind of the case of the mondays of this where she's like oh i need to get the keys to get back in the house but now i've dropped the keys and they're in the snow but that's okay because i can find them because i know where they oh no they fell through a hole in the deck like that is very funny when yeah, you it's very watch, Wiley Coyote. Yeah, for yeah, sure. When, for you sure. Wa- when you watch just, like, this, like, endless stream of, like, little problems that just, like, build into this giant snowball, which means this woman's going to die, it's very funny, even though it shouldn't be. And I think that's because they don't really give us any reason to pity anybody in this movie. You're never sad that Joseph is dead. Ever. No. Well, yeah, he's he, he, he is... He... Like, from the very establishment, you just, or from the very establishment shot, he, he's, he's a rich dick. Nobody yeah. should be. Every, we should be happy he's dead. Yeah, and, I, and, and you also there also is never any fear created for the little girl. Like like I think there's the sense that like the little girl who while annoying is like pure and just, and you, for whatever reason that not for a single moment do I worry that that 
the the psychopath is going to chop her up with the axe. I didn't um, worry about that either, but I do feel like they went out of their way to make the little girl not pitiable. <laughs> like I guess I mean she's, she's also, just an annoying she's the annoying TV show movie kid, you know, like. Also, the sadness to which she addresses uh, Joseph, her stepfather, when she's, like, checking on him, I think reveals that he probably, like, smacks her or something. So then you (laughs) extra don't like Joseph. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? She's like, hi, Joseph. She has, like, a little bit of, like, a sadness and a tremble in her voice. You're like, yeah. You're like, oh, great, Joseph. You're really living up to that stepfather fame. (laughs) Like, oh, no. And don't even worry with the uh, with the outro. Uh, the crypt keeper reassures us that uh, little she Carrie was Ann is unharmed because this killer prefers older women in pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Carrie Ann is just traumatized deeply. Yeah, yeah, Carrie. Yeah, right. No, I yeah. still maintain that my ending is the canonical is the real ending. Oh, the the, the shooting the, main, the the ending that you made up, yeah, yeah, yeah the, of the, the ending that I made up, where 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 this this deranged woman gets to continue to live, uh, and um, I think that's great because even though you say she's unsympathetic and that's true, I do love her. I love her very much. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, well, she's she's definitely the most likable character in the entire. Well, thing. again, 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 we've established that there there are four humans in this show. Yeah, I mean, really like, it's not, a, like it's not a high bar to step over. This this um, could be this could be black box. This it's very. <laughs> but just just as just as so you know i think a lot of people level this charge against horror which i i think is i think is somewhat overblown because um people's idea of horror is, i think is very limited like when you talk about like i think you could have almost anyone explain to you you're like all right so we're gonna do this we're gonna do a scene in a movie and we have a bunch of people and they're sitting around and there's a horror movie on tv People will describe like one of two things, basically. And either it's like a Frankenstein or a Dracula movie, right? Like it's like black and white and there's like a looming figure. Yeah, yeah, Bella Lugosi, yep. Or they will describe like a woman in a car making out with a dude suddenly getting attacked by somebody with a chainsaw, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A woman screaming while someone with like over-the-top violence attempts to, yeah. Right. Oh, for sure. And people will tell you when you when if you like if you kind of like draw it in those cartoonish strokes, they'll be like, oh, well, horror is dumb anyway, because everybody in it is stupid and I'm never afraid. And it's just it's just not it's just not good. And that is certainly sometimes true. I think less true than than it often is. Uh, then they would then it's kind of portrayed as being. I think that there are there are way more um, horror movies that uh, have sort of like deeply flawed but very interesting characters who you should like you should feel something for. Then you have movies where people are just like completely unsympathetic. Um, so I kind of feel like one of the reasons we also and I would think I think this falls into this as well. Like I do feel sympathy for her when she's like digging around. I kind I want her to get away with it very badly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and I don't want her to get chopped up by the the by the axe murderer. But I think part of the reason that we are not more horrified by this tale is because they use the the comedy aspect of it to distance us from the characters. That's why everyone falls funny when they die. That's yeah, why yeah. that's why it's like she's like rattling around for the gun, which is kind of actually a very tense moment. And I mm-hmm. think they take the piss out of it a little bit by being like, and then she grabs the door handle and the door handle comes off in her arm hand. And then she tries to put it back in and that pushes out the door handle on the other side. So now she's mm-hmm. completely stuck. Like it's sort of a 
it's, whoop, it's, whoop. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's over the top and it's humorous and that helps you sort of digest and accept the scary things that are about to happen. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I, I, I think that if the first episode of Tales from the Crypt, The Man Who Would Be Death, is kind of not what you would expect, I feel like this episode is exactly what you would expect um, in, in, in all of the right pleasing kind of ways. Yeah, um, it's not. Yeah, it's not like a comedy like Beetlejuice or like what we do in the shadows. Have you seen what we do in the shadows, by the way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fabulous. Pro- probably <laughs> saw it before you did. Hmm. Oh, I saw it in theaters, so I don't know about that. Oh, I saw um, it, I saw it before it had an American debut. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> the you wonders just... of the Internet. Did you really? Or are you just being a dick? <laughs> no, I'm, to- to- I'm totally serious. Oh, my God. You're such a dick. Hmm. <laughs> It's, but I think uh, that this is a this is a not like those movies are comedies with horror sensibilities, like kind yeah, of the, yeah, yeah. the no, set yeah. pieces behind them are horror. But like the main story and the way the story is structured is of a comedy. Yeah, this, no, this, the, yeah. this is a straight up horror movie, like like by the book. But it just has little like influxes of of um, slapstick and extreme extreme misfortune that make yeah. it very funny. It's a um, goofy horror movie. It's not a it's not a horrific comedy. It's not a horrific goofy movie? As no, in yeah. the, goofy the goofy movie? movie? The Tower of Cheesa, man. Leaning Tower of Cheesa. Mm. I think I like the um that scene with the tire swing is really good though. Like of all of the of all the moments that I think that's the most legitimately surprising and scary part. I would agree with that. Um, I basically, I don't think, this movie does such a good job of telegraphing to you what is going to happen that there aren't, it's basically completely without jump scares. Yeah. Um, one of the nice things it does, though, I will say, is the uh, the scene where Carrie pulls Santa out from behind that grandfather clock, which I think is also physically impossible, impossible based yeah, yeah, on sure. where the door is to the front, to the steps. Right. But that's right, right, fine. Right. I don't yeah. care. Um, but even that, even that is play- that's kind of like a subtle, quiet moment. I do think that the tone shift at the end um, really highlights everything else has been like kind of goofy and frantic. And then at the end, it kind of gets more quiet and slow. No one's running around. Even sh- even though she's screaming, she doesn't run back up the stairs. Like, I think right, that would right, have ruined right. the moment. So you do kind of have a little bit of a gut punch at the end. The end is is legitimately sad or scary. I would say. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's kind of like she's been frantically going around trying to beat fate and fate has finally caught up with her. It's it's a little bit arbitrary since presumably, I mean, we've seen her fight this guy off like twice at least at this point. She shouldn't have. She shouldn't. She shouldn't have gone upstairs without her gun. Yeah, well, it's because she has it, Mary. She just forgot for a second and she just has to pull it out. She pulls it out after the 90 minutes. <laughs> oh, that's right. The 90, the 90 this, seconds of screaming. This episode is brought to you by the NRA. She's, uh, she's lulling just... him into the only thing that can stop a lunatic with an axe is a is a callow ga- grave uh, grave digger gold digger with a thirty with a with a here's magnum my, handgun. Here's my question: Why weren't they just shooting logs at a part into kindle into firewood? That's my question. If they had had a gun stuck on that uh, on that tree stump, no problems. Everything would have been better. Here's something I noticed because I, I I was I, I noticed the axe right and I was like okay it's there for him to get. But we're told that he prefers to kill victims with an axe. We're told that at least, I think, twice. So 
Did he uh, show- we're told it once, and then she says he's arm. He's got an axe. Because, oh, yeah, yeah. Because so she, when she decides she's gonna pin it on the uh, on the psycho right, killer, right. yeah, she has to go and chop up the body. Yeah. Yeah. She like go. Well, no, she goes inside and she just like buries the axe in uh, in yeah. Joseph's, Joseph's face. head. But but just to say though that like so presumably and and we know that he's killed other people this evening. Um, so that's where he got the Santa suit. So did he show up with no weapons? Is he like a? Is he like a? Is this like playing the Hitman video game where it's kind of like, what do you have? Only what you take with you. <laughs> or is he, is he like a, is maybe maybe he is a Hannibal Lecter style. Like like his process is I only kill people with found objects in their house. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe he's just, you know, maybe he's just a Santa it would be on too the con- run. It would be too confusing if there were two axes. But also there's no reason that he couldn't just show up with the axe. I don't know, but then you don't. Then it doesn't introduce the idea that so that he she could get chopped apart with an axe. I mean, no, but but he would have the axe, right? He shows up with the axe, and then she like knocks him out um, in the struggle, and then she goes out and she grabs the axe and she buries it in her in in her now ex husband's head. It also would uh, it also would fix the problem of like why the hell do they have this axe? Since you know Plus, neither of them is like splitting rails like they're Abraham Lincoln <laughs> in the backyard. Like, but no it way. Fully, it fully flushes out the uh, the pastoral scene. So, I you know it, like I think for me the axe is less surprising than a wishing well. I no, know no, people. No, no, this is this is the axe cast. Let's, <laughs> let's break down the. Axe. I know, I know. I want to. I want to talk about axes for hours and hours. <laughs> Only axes for me, please. But no, yes, let's Let talk, let's talk about something. that wishing well. Wishing wells, they were all the rage in 1989. Everybody had a wishing well. And a deep one, too, because we get that fun shot up from the bottom of the wishing well. This isn't like an ornamental like thing. This no. is like something you could legitimately although, draw water out of. Although, if she was more of a horror movie stereotype, she would absolutely cram him into an ornamental <laughs> wishing well with his like legs like doofully hanging <laughs> <laughs> maybe Joseph maybe Joseph is a sensitive boy who needs a wishing well to sit by <laughs> this, is, um, this is what makes me think that this must be like the rental house like they're renting this house when they're because because you know their penthouse is being painted or something and this was supposed to be like a fun weekend away for Christmas weekend whatever maybe I don't know to me it seems like their house um, she I mean, seems it seems to... like it's supposed to be, but these, but, but it, who it... brings their life insurance policy with them on vacation? Maybe if your penthouse is being painted. No, but, but, but would, would you agree though, that these sort of these, these opulent 80s stereotypes, th- these are not people who live in a, in a house with a wishing well and an ax out front. Wishing well, kiss and tell. I know you're trying to talk over my singing, but my singing will just keep happening, by the way. I can't believe I haven't sung any Christmas songs yet. Um, so I agree with that, although I do think that in tucked in this story and you why why are they in the country? Because if they were in the city, someone would hear her scream. Right. That's why. Right. right, So they have to be in the country because they have to be isolated so that there is some practicality there. But I also think and this is actually and maybe this is just me because I love this idea and I I love when horror movies do this Um, or or really any movie, sci fi movies, when you have clear 
uh, clear commentary about like the horror of the uh, oh, the horror of the city versus the horror of the pastoral, and I prefer the horror of the pastoral because it's like more campy and more things that I like fall into it. But I think that this falls into it, and because it's set during Christmas, it's also the horror of nostalgia as well. So I think you have you know. The um, if you just like were if someone was just like casually cruising by and only saw the first minute of this, they would think this was a Hallmark Christmas movie like snow is falling. Nat King Mm -hmm. Cole is crooning. There's a camera panning over a palatial Christmas tableau. Um, complete with like, you know, there's a, a hectic woman yelling. <laughs> there's like a piano with Christmas carol sheet music on it. There's a holly trimmed crackling fireplace. Brandy is being swirled and snifters, right? Like it's mm-hmm. very, it's a very cozy, happy opening. And all of that is meant to highlight the greed and darkness that's like hidden in this little house, right? Like yeah. the people who are here are deeply unhappy even though they have all the trappings of like a dream, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Even though they they uh, they maxed out they maxed out all their investment portfolios so they could buy their own wishing well, which you know is expensive. Maybe this is Joseph's family's like oh. vacation cottage sort of situation. Either that, or maybe it's like oh, maybe it's like well, no, because you know Joseph's... that he has you know that he has a job in the city. Like yeah, he's one totally. of those guys. Well, yeah. maybe he's like, um, but maybe he's taken her out to the country to like kind of shut her up because he knows that you know he knows that she's like having affairs and stuff. So he's like putting the <laughs> she's little she's on woman the tootski, gonna get her clean of all that cocaine out in the country. He's like, <laughs> too I'm much saying... snow, too much ho ho ho. What I'm suggesting. <laughs> Too much ho ho ho! Too much ho ho blow! If you know what I mean. <laughs> snow, snow, blow! <laughs> um, <laughs> ho, snow, blow! I think from now on, when I'm referring to illegal drugs, I'm just gonna call him ho ho ho. <laughs> He's been on the ho ho ho. If you know what I'm saying. I'm just gonna tell you right now that I think you'll be led to more glory holes than you'll be lo- dealt loose joints if you go about that. <laughs> I'm looking for some ho, 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 ho. If and you know what I'm saying. Lots and lots you, of winking and like pointing. Yeah, if you do lots of like big like hammy winks and like nudging someone in the ribs while you say it. Someone's like, someone's like, you want a sex worker? You're like, God, no, God, no. I'm just trying to buy some ketamine off you. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Um, so... Um, <laughs> another another kind of like you know thought I had while watching this is that you know so you have sort of this moral you have a moralistic um, ending she's getting she's going to do we tell she's told explicitly she's going to die because she's been naughty right mm-hmm. um, you have this beautiful uh, father of the bride pastoral home a la um, father uh, of the bride oh no <laughs> already said it. Um, Miracle no, no, on no. 34th Street. But like it's kind of like this, this white Christmassy yeah, in no, no. feel it's, it's, where you got it's, these it's... cavernous rooms that are like perfectly appointed with every like, you right. know, country countrified but but luxurious thing possible. Yeah, um, it's it, it, it's the epitome of like 1950s Christmas as 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 told to you by movies and like, you know, Coca-Cola commercials. Totally. But maybe maybe tucked into this is um, is a little bit of a moral about perhaps 
we shouldn't teach young girls to expect capitalistic salvation from men. I mean, I, I mean, sure, but also I think it's way more likely that this was a story that was written in the 1950s by gross men who were like, women always be trying to get that money. Well, well, but but isn't it also like, don't be a gold digger. So like the wife's greed. <laughs> don't be a gold digger. Got to finish that degree, honey. <laughs> Stay in, stay in or your a paternalist st- or a literal or a literal embodiment of the patriarchy will break into your house with an axe. Here's what I'm saying. Pieces. Here's what I'm saying. If you if you if you don't want to have to murder your husband, you should become a stenog. Um, <laughs> no, what I'm actually saying, what I'm actually saying is so the wife's greed is her undoing. Right. The thing is mm-hmm. that the way she was taught to get ahead was to was to marry rich and that's not really working out for her. So now she's like turned to a life of, of murder, right? Yeah, she's become a murderess. Right? And she almost gets away with it, except she has this little daughter who's taught about Santa Claus. And the little daughter wants to let Santa Claus in because that's how she gets presents, which equal, you know, like child capitalistic gain. Mm-hmm. So she's brought down by a younger woman introducing the wrong sort of man into her household that this young girl thinks she needs. Hmm, perhaps maybe maybe i think you just shouldn't lie to your kids about santa i mean you should never lie to your kids and tell them to tell them to expect someone to do a little uh b and e to your house and i mean like not... like, the, like the tooth fairy is fine but santa claus this is this is right out well santa, i mean tooth fairy is real so that's different yeah. <laughs> and the easter bunny i mean easter bunny's in the bible so i'm actually going to teach my kids to believe in that french bell that flies Oh yeah, yeah, that's full of presents. <laughs> <laughs> so what um what can we finally say? So what what do we what do we learn from this, Thomas? What did you take away from this? Um don't lie to your kids about Santa. Always 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 have Joseph's gun ready at hand. Joseph should Joseph should fully just strap iron. Well, let, let's be real. If Joseph had his gun, he probably wouldn't be dead. No, no, no. If she wife from had behind. her gun, she probably wouldn't be dead either. <laughs> This episode brought to you by the NRA. Thank you very much. Yeah, be great. Um, I think all guns should be illegal, and uh, I think that we should come into people's personal homes and take them. <laughs> While wearing Santa suits and wielding axes. I mean, you got to be armed with something because you're like going into a dangerous nutjob's house. So, like, obviously, you have to wear a dirty Santa suit and wield an axe. It's just for your protection. <laughs> think about how. Think about no, how it's much an axe like for the door in case it's stuck. Think about and a how... Santa suit, because what could be more non-threatening than Santa Claus, the embodiment of goodwill? Consider also Christian; they love it. Consider how much. Uh, maybe we should wear. Maybe we should wear like lightly filthy Jesus costumes. They definitely let us in then. Um, unless, are, oh, are there Jesus horror movies? Oh, I mean, you could argue the entire Bible is a Jesus horror movie. Well, no, 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 but like, like Nativity of Doom. They tried oh. to take it off the courthouse steps. The courthouse steps decided to take them out. And it's about it's about a killer set of courthouse steps. I would watch that movie. <laughs> it's about a nativity scene and uh, anthropomorphic uh, Ten Commandments that are removed from a small town courthouse. And... I mean, it's just crazy enough to work. That's yeah, what I'm yeah. saying. Um, right. So I think like the upshot of this of this story is that, um, you know, uh, we use this holiday setting and the the location that and the way that the house looks to highlight um, greed and and murder and darkness and sadness and depravity. 
and suggests that you can't you can't hide it in this sort of candy coating. Like it it all comes out, the rot rises eventually, and your comeuppance is delivered from on high via serial killer's axe. Yeah, I think also, though, I think people sort of understand what it means when you say a woman is tormented by a psychopath in the Santa suit, which I think kind of blunts it a little bit, too, where it's going to be like, yeah, we're going to we're going to make these points. But also, like, it's kind of fun and kitschy and over the top. It's not, you know. Well, right. Of course. Like, I don't think, you know, it's not exactly realistic. No, but but I think I think I think Cameron is not knocking on her door and like stabbing her repeatedly while telling her it's actually about Jesus. That would be right, that would right. be frightening. But you're taking the taking the Christ out of Christmas. Stab, stab, stab. Yeah, I'm not saying it's like that. I'm saying it's more like Oh no, I'm I'm just saying that it allows for them to like um kind of kind of make a sly point, but also it, it it sort of telegraphs that like you don't have to take this like uber uber seriously. It's going to be a little trashy and fun and uh uh, it's like it's like are you a gold digger? Don't worry that much. Killer Santa's not literally coming yeah, for you. Right, right. Did you enjoy this episode? Oh, I I, I love this episode. The the first time I watched it, I don't, I don't know if I wasn't paying especially close attention or what, but I I, guess I know you told me that you thought it was stinkeroo. Yeah, I didn't like it. Um, but I rewatched it and I kind of love it. So I don't know if I is was, it because uh... you found out by it was by the Forrest Gump guy, which is your favorite movie. <laughs> you take that back. That's a mendacious lie. I know. No, I, I, um, I shouldn't. No. I shouldn't libel you so strongly. I, I I liked it, and I think it's um. I, I frequently this is trotted out as a particularly strong episode, and I think that's right. Um, I I wonder if I was too liberal with the with the five star rating for uh for the first episode, but I do like this one quite a bit. Um, I don't know that I think it has as much to say, despite maybe having uh the kind of the dressing that that may 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 mean that you could see this as some incisive uh smear against capitalism and consumerism uh but but i did like it what about you i liked it too um i'm kind of surprised to hear you say that it's tried out as a strong episode i think it's like i think it's like very good and standard um i don't know if i think that the i think that there are like hidden depths which i enjoy um it's not it's not my favorite kind of horror movie i would say which probably um biases me against it a little bit i think it's like it's like best in class but the class can only go so high that's how it's I like being it. the smartest it's like being the octopus you're the smartest mollusk but you're still a mollusk yeah and it's okay i mean like i've never like slasher movies are not my not my main jam so there sure. is a lot of like bias and opinion in this um, but I also feel like it's harder for me, like there are episodes that are, it's hard for me in a world of gold diggers to particularly pick this gold digger. Um, even within this season, there are gold diggers that I prefer. Nice. Um, but so I gave this episode, uh, three out of five blood splattered Williamson, Williams Sonoma holiday catalogs. I'll give it, I give this one three and a half. Stinky, disheveled Santa suits up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say though, uh, this is this is one of the better uses of a fire poker I've ever seen. And when I watch it, I feel like maybe maybe the staircase is right. Maybe he did hit her with that blow poke. <laughs> I'm just saying though, like what what this is the, the the single best use of a fire poker ever ever recorded on film. I mean, have you ever have you ever used a fire poker, specifically the poker, for anything that has I been do. even remotely useful in a fire context? Well, most of the fireplaces I encounter are are gas, so none of it is useful. 
Madam, madam, a simple yes or no would suffice. I mean, what they are useful for is when, like, I love the grimace people do make when they use a fire poker, especially when they're camping. If you're, like, poking the fire, everyone has to make kind of a face like they're smelling a bad smell. <laughs> also, also, no one, there's no way you can hold a fire poker and not immediately start thinking about physical violence. <laughs> it's true. Maybe that's why you do it. Maybe you're, like, you're, it matches your attitude. I've never, if I saw someone, like, grinning ear to ear holding a fire poker, I'd run. <laughs> Next time, we'll have a tale that will have you scatting your pants. Episode three from season one. Dig that cat. He's real gone. I'm excited about that one. Thanks for listening to Crypt Creepers. Please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and review us. Be sure to visit OutrageousMechanisms.com to see our show notes and find other excellent podcasts in the Outrageous Mechanisms family. Till next time, kitties. If you hear a struggle downstairs... Don't feel bad. It's probably just Santa Claus catching up on some last-minute Christmas chopping. (laughs) (laughs) An outrageous mechanism's production.